There's no place in the world like Rodeo Drive. I'm Pari Eason, your host. And I'm your field correspondent, Jason E.C. Wright. Welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. On today's show, art and fashion get blended by creative new voices. It's less for me about some stale notion of inclusivity or diversity and more about allowing folks to fully express themselves in the space that they should have always had a claim to. That's Antoine Sargent. He is a writer and curator who is reclaiming and reimagining Black identity and beauty. Here my conversation with him coming up. What Antoine also represents is a fluidity between disciplines, art, fashion, food, and publishing. You can see it at work here on Rodeo Drive, where boutiques that once mainly sold clothing now offer more curated exhibition and retail spaces. Like Saint Laurent Rivedrot, conceived by the house's creative director, Anthony Vaccarello, and exclusive to its Paris and Rodeo Drive boutiques. And Jason, you got to check it out when you were recently on the street. That's right, Perry. This installation in the Rodeo Drive boutique follows a tradition that Saint Laurent established with the Rio Gauche stores in the late 1970s, where all the objects are meant to expand the world in different ways. Vaccarello worked with the Hervé cousins of Hervé Manufacturier, and so this is what I saw. So you have a surfboard and furniture as a table that is made in this beautiful wood that they're known for. But there's also lighters and playing cards. There are branded headphones, but also footwear and bags. But then in the back section, we have vinyl. We have art and design magazines and books really expanding on the way that the art collector is intersecting in the fashion world and those from the fashion side are collecting objects and it's a beautiful way of seeing this evolution of the stores being more than just a retail space and a point of experience for the world but adding more objects into the daily lives of people that are already fans of these designers such as Saint Laurent Rivedrot is one example of this evolution of the boutique and Celine is engaging in a similar way as Jason reports from The Drive. Yes, and just as Eddie Slimane moved as creative director of Saint Laurent over to creative director of Celine, we'll now shift our attention from the Saint Laurent store across the street to the Celine store. It's set up to feel a bit more like a museum exhibition. It's walkable, it's touchable, but still presented with the same vigor and care and meticulous nature as the construction of the garments you'll find inside. So we have this marble facade on the outside as well as the inside. Things are presented in a way that you can touch, but also very categorized based on their usage. And again, it still ties to a consumer that is in the fashion world and the art world and collecting things with a bit more intention. And it's really part of the reason why we really love being here on Rodeo. I think that Perry can attest to that as we've kind of done research that slash shopping. It's been a wonderful time to go into these boutiques and feel like we just came out of a museum. It's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jason. You've just set up exactly why our next guest is the perfect person to talk to. That's right. You got to talk to Antoine Sargent. And as you know, Jason, Antoine is a very important figure who's reclaiming Black identity, and he's truly engaged the fashion industry and many brands to kind of pay attention and to become a part of this universality of sharing these images. Indeed. He's a curator and author of The New Black Vanguard, Photography Between Art and Fashion, which is a fantastic book that I immediately included in our library. 
This is also part of a touring exhibition that's currently on view at the Cleveland Museum of Art through mid-September of 2022. He's been published in leading publications including the New York Times and Vogue, and he's director of Gagosian, a global network of art galleries with one of the outposts here in Beverly Hills. Antoine and I met around 10 years ago when Instagram was first taking off and we both had a very clear idea of the potential for image making of that new medium. It was great to talk to him now about the dissolving of boundaries between art and fashion today, about diversity and inclusion and how to do it authentically, and about the amazing Virgil Abloh show that he has coming up. We also both love and crave the in-person shopping experience, so I asked him first what Rodeo Drive means to him. Rodeo Drive is a space that is a real representation, a, a physical representation of what we call fashion, you know, the beauty of fashion, the exclusivity of fashion, the sort of craftsmanship, and, you know, everything else in between. I really do think that it's definitely relevant because I'm personally someone who I need to try things on, you know, I, I as, as much of a, of, uh, um, a huge sort of uh, you know, fashion consumer that I am, I always go and try things on and I'm more likely to, you know, buy something of sort of an outlier in this, but I don't actually shop all that much online. And so for me, a place like Rodeo Drive is extraordinarily important because I get to go and, you know, uh, touch the fabrics, try them on, you know, talk to the folks in the shops and, you know, really sort of engage in a community. Because for me, fashion really is about a community and the Rodeo Drive is a representation of that. I love your dedication. It, It shows in your style, too. I have to say... I probably saw you for the first time like many, many years ago, like in 2013 or something like on the Mm -hmm. gram. And I was like, oh, like you really kind of embodied this voracious curiosity and the act of discovery and discovering art. And your style was so signature and that whole kind of playful aspect of you being in the spaces, it really just hit right for me. At the beginning of the gram, Back then, <laughs> when yeah, no one I really... Kn- I mean, you had a really sort of clear sense of um, what you were doing, and Jaja had a really... You know, um, Jaja Faye had a really good sense of, of what they were doing. But I think, you know, a lot of people back then, especially in the art and fashion world, actually, were very much confused about, you know, what was the, what were the possibilities of Instagram mm-hmm. or, and, and the possibilities of sharing your style, your taste in art... Um, your concerns, you know, on a platform like that. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's like now night and day. <laughs> between, <laughs> it really is, um, I know. It's, it's 10 years ago, almost. So we're also witnessing changing representation in fashion and art, which your work specifically deals with. You've made a significant impact with your book, The New Black Vanguard, Photography Between Art and Fashion. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, fashion and art in that regard have made, you know, unbelievable progress, but, you know, it's obviously just not enough, right? And because we're talking about sort of decades and sometimes, you know, um, of exclusion, right? And I think that now that we've, you know, we're in sort of a maybe five-year period of, you know, folks trying to sort of be really committed to making the world just reflective of the people that, you know, live in it. Um, and invite, you know, voices that should have been there all along into the conversation. And so, you know, I think that, like, my own work has 
really just been about having an interest um, in, you know, black culture, black art, black fashion. And because I used to be a full-time writer, I just wanted to know what was happening, you know, sort of in those scenes, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and to explore the nuances and similarities and differences and, um, you know, um, in those cultures, right? And it, in, in sort of allow each individual artist or designer that, you know, I've worked with um, to sort of set the course, you know? It's less for me about some stale notion of inclusivity or diversity and more about allowing folks to fully express themselves in the space that they should have always had a claim to. And so what I try to do is just to make sure that every project is the fullest expression of the artist or designer um, that it can be. Because, you know, the, the flip side of that is just sort of, like, doing things for the sake of, like, showing that, like, you, you know, you believe in diversity or you inclusion or, you know, in this sort of really um, limiting way, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about sort of being rigorous and inviting people in and holding them to the same sort of, you know, standards of everyone else and making sure that, you know, everyone that when you invite them in, that they're not just invited in, but they're also supported with the right resources that you would have extended to anybody else. Right. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's all those things, you know, the performative aspect of collaboration in the, in the negative sense, in the sense of like, you know, tokenism that doesn't, that doesn't resonate, you know, and it doesn't have to be there anymore, you know? Yeah. You've said, you know, I know you've said, and I feel very similarly, like that art and fashion have given your life form. Can you speak on that? What do you mean by that? What I mean by it's given to my, my life shape is that, you know, I work in these industries and, you know, there's such a huge part of who I am. You know, it's like with when you're in sort of the culture field, it's not like you clock out at 6 p.m., no, you know? <laughs> like, it is an ongoing um, exploration of a full life. That's what I mean, sort of, by it gives me shape, but also just like, you know, in a literal sense, you know, we know that in the fashion world there's seasons, and so. You know, you have that flow of time. Um, In the art world, there are big sort of moments around uh, art fairs that happen every, you know, the same part of the time of the year. And I think that more and more, given, you know, the collaboration that happens now, uh, that was so not common, you know, when we were sort of starting out. um, And it was sort of like weird. And artists was thought, you know, artists, you know, visual artists were thought as less serious if they collaborated fashion brands, if they appeared in fashion magazines. And now you just really have folks operating in a real post-medium, you know, condition, right? And so you might see... Um, you know, an artist, um, you know, do a collaboration with Louis Vuitton, or you might see a painting that was on a wall up here on a Dior bag, you know, and that is increasingly happening. And I think that the worlds are being, uh, are increasingly in conversation. It's really great to see Carrie Mae Weems, for example, just shoot the latest Prada campaign, you know, like, um, because I think that there are ideas in both that are super important and that, you know, 
um, allow for a dialogue. I remember, like you said, like 10 years ago, artists were super nervous to do something in the fashion realm because they thought that it would discount, you know, their, their art practice and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, could be harmful to their reputation or if it went in the wrong direction, like, like it, it would all be over. I also think artists in general and the art world in general, and also the fashion world actually, um, have actually made a real commitment to leaving behind some of these sort of dated notions of um, being sort of high art or high fashion or high culture, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's a real um, democratic spirit um, that is um, energizing both of those spaces that allows for, you know, artists and, and fashion designers um to reach new audiences because that's now baked into the DNA of what they do, right? Um, mm-hmm. The art world, you know, used to be about a few prize collectors, right? A few prize museums, right? And the fashion world used to be about, you know, a, a certain sort of income class, right? They share yeah. that, right? Both art and fashion shares that. And so now, you know, folks are, are trying to sort of reach out to, you know, younger younger audiences, and, you know, people that, you know, come from different, you know, backgrounds, right? And I think that has driven um, some of the collaborative spirit that, you're, that, you've, that we've been witnessing in the last, you know, several years. So you are a director now at the Gagosian. And so mm-hmm. I was wondering your thoughts on the power of art and fashion in, in close proximity as far as spatially. Um, the Gagosian Beverly Hills is right around the corner from Rodeo Drive. What do you see the synergies being in that? Yeah, I mean, we first of all, we just represent folks who, <clears throat> you know, work between those spaces, you know, fluidly, you know. Um, there's a number of artists, um, Roe Etheridge being one of them, mm-hmm. um, on the roster who, you know, make no distinction. Roe shows his images in the gallery. You also have, you know, other folks as well who, you know, just on that level, you know, that sort of is working in those spaces and sometimes that work ends up um, in the gallery, right? And I think that that's the sort of beauty of a gallery space is that, um, that that it it is essentially um, a blank canvas, right? And, you know, and then you have folks, you know, like um, Gursky, right? Like, who sort Mm -hmm. of would not say he works in fashion, but, like, in his show that's up in New York right now, he has an image of a a runway, you know, of models on a runway, right? And, And it's not necessarily about sort of um, a traditional sort of, you know, look at, you know, fashion on a runway, presentation of clothes. It really is about sort of, you know, networks and communities and, you know, composition and scale and, you know, all of those things. But him choosing that sort of iconic sort of moment, you know, in fashion, right, the model on a runway, um, to sort of express these other sort of more formal qualities just shows that, like, you know, folks are thinking really widely and broadly about the ways in which fashion and art and, you know, are just a part of the culture. And then there's also, you know, on the, you know, the estates on the roster, you know, the arguably um, the greatest fashion photographer 
of you know of all time is you know on our on our roster and it was someone that you know we're always returning to his work and like you know and so like there's just like all of these sort of folks that um that sort of are you know sort of operate in you know these you know in these different you know spaces that um that really like i think allow for um, us all to sort of just have fuller express, you know, fuller expressions um, of of who we are. Yeah, and and to create a more fluid existence, which, which doesn't silo itself or tether itself to either or. Any plans on curating a show at the Gagosian in Beverly Hills that you're able to reveal? The LA team have been really welcoming. Next year, I'm doing a couple of actually projects in LA. I can't say what they are yet, but I will be sort of um, doing uh, shows at the gallery um, that is really about bringing together the art, the fashion, the music worlds, um, you know, for a really great cause. Definitely one of the great things about the gallery, having, you know, 19 locations around the world, is that you can sort of, you know, drop into... Um, these different art communities and present, you know, new and different ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And um, even our shop, you know, like the Gagosian shop, we just opened another one in London. You know, mm-hmm. like, even that space is an opportunity for artists to sort of think about product and mm-hmm. artists to think about sort of fashion. So I guess one last question, and I think you kind of answered it, but what are you most excited about right now? At this moment. I'm working on a show uh, for the last three years, me and Virgil Abloh, the late fashion designer and artist, you know, sort of engaged in conversations that turned into um, uh, me curating the last installment of his show, Figures of Speech, um, at the Brooklyn Museum that opens on July 1. And okay. I'm just super excited because, you know, Virgil was, you know, one of the great sort of thinkers that you know merge both art and fashion and um we you know he started as an architect and Mm -hmm. this show given his untimely you know death at the age of 41 um you know several months ago you know this show is really sort of his last show as a living artist right and it really sort of thinks about the practice in sort of these really, really dynamic ways. And, um, you know, we have taken a very untraditional approach um, to um, the the show. And we went back to his roots in architecture. And, wow. you know, the show is really sort of about sort of an intervention, architectural intervention um, in the building, but also about sort of... Um, the ways that he made across media, right? And uh-huh. the ways that, you know, it could be one day, one hour he's designing a dress, the next hour he's designing a sculpture, the next he's making music, right? Like, it really was, it had this great fluidity that I think actually helped usher in a lot of what we talked about, you know, today. Um, and so I'm really just excited to, you know, honor an artist who, you know, really was perhaps the most influential artist of his generation um, and has really sort of pushed us all to sort of rethink um, our boundaries and rethink what was possible 
And so um, it's just really sort of a, it's been an honor to work on the show, to learn from Virgil and to um, complete it and to bring it to, you know, audiences um, this summer. Well, I can't wait to see that because I, I did see the, you know, the show at, in Chicago um, when it opened. Totally different show. It's yeah, like only, I, I, it the only like similarity. <laughs> the only similarity is the name. <laughs> right. Okay, great. I love that. I'm obsessed with that because I was like, "Where is the? You know, where is his like formative experiences? Like, it was just kind yes. of like showing the aftermath, and it. it yep. I knew there was so much more there. We we really sort of have thought about that with this show, yeah. and really sort of thought about sort of. If he says he makes everything for his 17-year-old self, then what was the 17-year-old Virgil doing, mm. right? Like, 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 oh, what, yeah. what were his ideas, you know? What, what was his ideas in college, you know? Like, what? And so, and it's really sort of interesting having gone through, you know, the archive and to see some of his, you know, early homework. He, he's at 18, 19, 20, you know. He's talking about Louis Vuitton, and he's talking about his own, you know. And so we, we do try to sort of show the journey, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm just really excited for um, the show because also it's just like, I mean, I got to collaborate with a great team. His team is, you know, amazing. Even through mm-hmm. grief, you know, they sort of stayed on it and, you know, just really sort of great. And the Brooklyn Mew team, museum team also were really amazing to work with. It is, again, not a traditional exhibition. And so yeah. for them to wrap their ha- heads around it and sort of not only do that, but also, um, you know, get on board fully and commit resources and, you know, problem solve, you know, with all the logistical sort of stuff. This has been really a joy to see a museum really sort of step into um, a position of uh, flexibility. That is just generally not how they (laughs) sort of operate. And if they do, it's planned nine, you know, nine years in advance, right? And so... (laughs) And, so, yeah. um, and, you know, Virgil worked with, with a real fluidity. So he was not, you know, planning things. Like, he had an idea, it came to mind, he executed, right? And he I, had yes, that was the him. team there around was a spontaneous, him. spontaneous, like, aspect exactly. of his work that was so, that gave it such, like, an energy and a kick. Exactly. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, but, but the sort of, the the commitment to it, I think, is what, for me you know, is really, really important because it sends a signal, I think, to young creatives, whether that's in art or in fashion, that you should execute and explore your ideas. And and you don't need, you know, them to all be um, the, you know, a best idea or whatever. But in, in that, exactly, you know, to Virgil, everything was a prototype. And, mm-hmm. you know, which meant that, like, one idea led to the next, right? And I think yeah. that, like that's how you you know get someone like him right that's how you get someone so influential in this culture and so i'm i'm looking forward to that i'm really really excited about it well i'm you just made me very excited too i can't wait to see that so yeah well antoine thank you this was amazing and i'm so happy we got to have this conversation i really am me too that was antoine Sargent. i'm parry isan and i'm jason ac right On the next episode, we'll take you into an amazing place. Here's a hint. You're going to want to start your engines. We are located 
in the bowels of Beverly Hills, right in the center of downtown Beverly Hills. We have been here for over 40 years, collecting and storing and taking care of our clients' automobiles. Rodeo Drive is not complete without cars, but who knew the best ones were buried three stories underground? Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. To Rodeo Drive, the Heyman family, Beverly Wilshire, Four Seasons Hotel, the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau, and MCM. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton with editing and videography by Hans Fjolstad. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Grace Fu is the production assistant. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts join us on instagram at rodeo drive see See you on on the the street. street